This morning we're picking back up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, continuing our study on uh, Christian unity, or Christian unity, uh, as it was there for a little while. But uh, as we come back into this, it's been a couple of weeks, and so what I want to start is a reading really in verse 1, we're going to read 1 through 11, and then we're going to walk through this, but one of the things I kind of want to begin with is the understanding that there's a radical difference between spiritual gifts and talent, skills, or abilities, okay? So talent, skills, and abilities, you just kind of look at yourself, you look at your life, and you say, I am good at X. I'm really good at standing on my left foot. Somebody else is really good at standing on their right foot. I'm not so great at at, at administering uh, sunscreen. That's why I end up with with knees that are red and odd little splotches on my arms because I can't evenly apply the stuff. Those are kind of skills and abilities that you either have or you don't have. And there seems to be no great difference between kind of Christians and non-Christians having those. So you'll find that that there are non-Christians who have terrific skills and abilities. They have a phenomenal skill set. And you'll see a Christian that will have the same thing. And so it seems that that there's no real difference between kind of Christian and non-Christian when it comes to skills and abilities. But in terms of spiritual gifts... It's this wholly different thing. It is something that God apportions to the Christian in salvation, okay? It's it's different in that regard. It's something that God supernaturally gives to you in salvation. And one of the things we learn in Scripture is that he does this to every Christian. Every Christian. So every one of you, if you would say that you believe in Jesus, that you follow him, that you believe he died and rose again and your life is submitted to him you have a spiritual gift. And the interesting thing is your gift is necessary for kingdom impact. It's necessary. The gift God has given you is is special to you, and it is necessary for you to use it for maximum kingdom impact. Can we think about this? And, And it gets in the idea of, well, this is really just kind of the realm of Christianity I'm not all that comfortable with because this just sounds like kind of mysticism or, or this really sounds, you know, something just kind of far afield, man. And I, I'm just not fully comfortable with this. Let me just kind of open with this idea. Christianity's weird. Like if you try and have a, just kind of a common sense conversation with somebody and they say, look, I don't know anything about Christianity. Can you explain it to me? You're like, well, we worship a guy who's actually God, who came in flesh, who died. And I'm like, okay, so a dead guy? No, well, he rose again, and now he sits at the right hand of his father on a high. And, and, and God's Holy Spirit indwells us as well. They say, you're right, Christianity's weird. It's an odd thing, but I mean, like, it's, we believe in the supernatural, right? Some of us. Good gracious. You're like, Christianity's not weird. It's just like you go to church on Sundays, you give somewhere around 2 to 3% after taxes, after Wendy's, and after everything else, and you just be a good person the rest of your life. And that's your view of Christianity, in which case you're going to be sorely disappointed today. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, and he's talking about spiritual battle. Look what he says. Ephesians 6, 12, he says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Christianity is a spiritual enterprise. Christianity is engaging in cosmic and spiritual battle. 
And one of the elements you've been given in this engagement, one of the elements you've been given as a part of this body that God necessarily gave you for engagement is a spiritual gift. To disregard that or pay no attention to that is to disregard God and to pay no attention to him. They're not skills. They're not abilities. These are divine love gifts that God has bestowed upon you for the furtherance of his kingdom. Let me read for us starting in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 11. Paul writes and he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, yet to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. So as God lays it out sovereignly for Paul to communicate this to the church there in Corinth and by extension to us, he found a community that was completely completely besought with kind of this exaggeration of leaning towards the more fantastic gifts, right? And so there in Corinth, if they were apprising somebody and saying, okay, like I see you and I see you over here, you don't speak in tongues and you do, so you must be closer to God. You don't speak in tongues and you do, so you must be closer to God. And, and so when they saw that and they begin to kind of create this pecking order of spirituality by this, you can see how it naturally leads to excess and it naturally leads to a misunderstanding and a misapplication of what it is to be divinely led by God. So Paul begins to kind of set these things right. And, and so he said a couple of weeks ago that really in chapter 12 he moves through and he begins to kind of describe how these things work together using the illustration of the body. In chapter 13, he talks about the governing power of love. And in chapter 14, it's really just a list of kind of practical applications for how these things are meant to work out within the church of God. Now, the, fasc- the fascinating and fantastic thing that Paul does in verses 4 through 6 is he shows us the Trinitarian composition of the bestowment of spiritual gifts. Simply put, that the entirety of the Godhead is involved in investing, invested in giving to the Christian spiritual gifts. Notice he mentions in verse 4, the Spirit, in verse 5, Jesus our Lord, and in verse 6, the same God, so God the Father. Now look at what he writes. In verse 4 he says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now Paul isn't going to give us within the context of this an entirely exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. You can see other ones found in Romans 12, 6 through 8. You can see the offices listed in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11. And so you can see these gifts are, are meant to be kind of a sampling of the gifts. And then he lists tongues close to the end because it was such an incredibly problematical a gift there in Corinth. And I would say, in some sense, it's a difficult understanding today because we see 
of, of the kind of the gross perversion of it on the side of charismatics, and we see just the complete abhorrence of it and fear of it on the side of, of fundamentalists and conservatives. It makes them uncomfortable. It makes them sweat in places they didn't know they could. And so he says there are a variety of gifts for the same spirit. One of the things we need to understand is that the unity of God is made possible in the bestowal of gifts, right? So he says you need to understand something. There are a variety. There is just a, a, an entire smattering of gifts, but all of these flow from the same spirit. Now, what does this do for us? Well, in some sense, what this does for us is it creates this, this new plane of existence where we all operate from the same footing. And so you, you speak up and you say, well, I have the gift of exhortation, and that came from this, and I have the gift of this, and it came from that. No, no, no. I don't care what your gift is, but all of our gifts come from the same place. They come from the same spirit. Then he says, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And check this out. The sovereign God of the universe in Jesus Christ the Son has given you a spiritual gift. And he's called you to employ that gift in the furtherance of his kingdom. And so for some of you, your spiritual gift is kind of helps. You quietly work behind the scenes. And so in terms of for the city this week, maybe you're going to find yourself on a trash collection team, okay? And so when people are looking at you and evaluating your usefulness for the kingdom, they say, what did you do in for the city? You're like, are you out sharing the gospel? Are you doing all these things? Like, I was picking up Coke bottles, man. Like, what's wrong with people in this town? They can't throw trash in a trash can? And so I spent four days doing nothing but bending over, picking up trash and bending over and picking up trash. Well, I got news for you. Outside of just the terrific lumbar exercises you're going to get, you're also exercising, using, utilizing the supernatural divine gift that God has given you for his glory and your sanctification. It says there are a variety of services, but the same Lord in every exercise of the very gifts we, we kind of use and we go about. We don't get to be Lord. We don't get to be the one who deserves honor. We don't get to be the one who deserves attention. Every exercise of our gifts should redirect people's view from us to God. So every time somebody comes to you and they say, this is terrific, you're an amazing so-and-so, and they speak in terms of whatever your spiritual gift is, this for you provides an amazing opportunity to redirect their view from you to God. God is the one who has given you these in the spirit, and he is the one who has called you to this and holds you accountable to this in the Lord. So he goes on in verse 6, wrapping up his Trinitarian understanding. He says, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Some of you have more energy than others. Now this morning I would question whether very many of you have any energy at all. Uh, there's a guy in the back who just his head fell back and drool's running down. But understand this. Any ability you have to use your spiritual gift cannot rest in you and in your ability and in your strength. It can't. It can't. It would run out, you'd be exhausted, and you would be uh, fruitless in your endeavor and in your attempts to be impactful. And so when we find within just kind of community and within Christian life, there's this awful habit of, of more or less kind of copying people. And so you see that somebody has a terrific gift, and you say, man, 
he or she gets all the attention. I wish that that was my gift. I wish that I had their attention. I wish I had everybody fixed on me the way they are fixed on them. And so you bend and change your operation to match theirs, right? And so you just kind of play Christian copycat. And so you begin to see them doing something. You go out and you do the same thing. Understand this. You may get people to focus on you. You may do amazing things for the kingdom. But in some sense, you're dishonoring God because you're not operating within your supernatural giftings that God has given you. You're operating under the assumption that someone else's gift is better than your own. And we do this, though. This is, this is normal for life. Being the younger brother, my older brother is six years older than, than me, I always got like the junior gift of whatever he got. And so if Jason got this, this awesome remote control car, I got one that went forward and turned left. It's great. It's always doing circles. But his goes forward and backwards. Is that too much to ask, like forward and backwards? Mine goes forward and left. What's the deal? Admittedly, my parents loved him more. <laughs> that, was, that was a bad, bad work on their part. But we do this over the course of our lives. We see people get nicer cars or nicer houses, and so we want to kind of move into the same things they have gotten. And the same thing begins to make its way into our understanding and application within Christianity. And I would simply graciously invite you to stop doing this. Don't spurn the loving gift God has given you. Don't look at the gift he's given you and compare it to the one that he's given someone else. Because to do such invites competition. And to do such gets away with the grace that we would extend to our brothers and sisters who have varying different gifts than our own. Your gift. The one God has given you, the one that, that you know in there is one he has given you for the advancement of his kingdom and for your sanctification. And he empowers them all and everyone. Now listen to verse 7. This kind of begins to get to the point of what these gifts are for. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You know, writing in uh, chapter 10 and verse 23, Paul wrote and said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Your spiritual gift is meant, meant to be used for the building up the body of Christ. Do you, do you get this? Now, if we take this to heart, then we really have a, a terrific opportunity to be unified around something. And we're being unified by the power of his spirit, and he is accomplishing this through the working of your spiritual gift. And so when I begin to govern my actions, when I begin to govern my thoughts and take these things into the understanding that I'm only going to employ my spiritual gift in so much as that it is building up someone else. This seems to be what he's saying here. And so there's no opportunity for me to use and implement and employ my spiritual gift if all attention in my heart is wanting to come to me. If I want people to notice me, to see me, to be, in, to be kind of in awe of me. Our desire, our hearts in the use and utilization of our spiritual gifts should always want to be, I want to bring Bob closer to Jesus. I want to bring Joel closer to Jesus. I want to bring Suzanne closer to Jesus. I want to bring Cinda closer to Jesus. I want to bring Kalina closer to Jesus. That when I am using my gift, I'm drawing us all closer together, not unified under some name, some banner, or some ideology, 
but unified in his spirit because he is creating a bond of unification in us because we're all empowered by the same God, we're all led by the same spirit, and we're all using gifts that come from the same place. Now, this gets terrifically more difficult the larger our expanse gets, right? The larger our sphere gets. This week, we have an amazing opportunity to work alongside other churches who have some you know, different shades of understandings and ideas of, of just kind of how things work out. We're going to have people that, that sprinkle babies instead of dunking adults. We're just going to have a whole host of different people all across the spectrum of Christianity. And this is an amazing opportunity for us to use our giftings, not just to make us as Ridgecrest closer together, but to make us as the body of Christ here in Greenville, Texas, closer together. And I would tell you that God is most glorified in making his name famous, not making one denomination or one church's name famous. It's going to be difficult. Because there, there presents the opportunity to go in and say, now let me, let, me just, let me just explain this to you. I, I've heard that you're Methodist, and can I just count all the various ways that you're wrong on baptism and a variety of other things? Man, just give the guy a brownie or, or a soda and let it move on down the line. Talk about something else, right? Talk about something else. Talk about, man, how can we go out and how can we love in our community together? Or to the Presbyterian brother and say, hey, listen here, Presbyterian. Can I tell you all the various ways that you misunderstand how covenants work together? I'm just going to tell you, probably not a great starter for your conversation this week with your Presbyterian friend. Probably not a great starter. Now, maybe after this week, you guys can get together and parse out theology over some weak coffee. But other than that, we have an amazing opportunity this week to point to our commonality in Jesus, to use our gifts to bring him honor and glory, or we can magnify our differences and completely destroy one another. Which one will it be? Which one will it be? We can be involved and invested, and I would tell you that if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you have no other real choice. There is obedience to him that looks like involvement with others and and involvement with others and using your spiritual gift. He brings us closer together and his name is made more famous. Oh, that he would increase and that we would decrease. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And begin to think, begin to ask yourself the question, when is the last time you were found engaged in using your spiritual gift and what was the outcome? I would ask you this question that that if the last time you used your spiritual gift and the primary outcome was that it made you feel better about yourself, then you fail to understand the primary reason for which God has given it to you in the first place. It's for the common good. That when you use your spiritual gift, it brings us together. Amen? Come on now. Amen? Goodness. Thank you there in the back. You're a soprano. I didn't know that brings us together. Now look, he has to begin this before he moves through the list. Imagine that Paul had moved through the list and somebody were to say, ha, I speak in tongues, ha, I utter words of wisdom, ha, I utter words of knowledge. They would begin to kind of think of themselves more advanced and more highly thought of than they should. But he begins with the understanding in this bar of commonality, of bringing us together. And then he begins to move through. And so let's look at these shortly. He says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Notice that in every single one of the gifts that Paul lists, he doesn't say, and someone worked really hard and they did really good, and so they were rewarded with this thing. No. 
None of these things are, are understood that way. We are given these things. We are passive in the reception of them, and we are given them by the Spirit. And as we read in verse 4, it is the same Spirit. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. There are those of us, men and women in this room, and men and women outside of this room, who have been given divinely by the Spirit of God the utterance of wisdom. Now, we recognize over the course of our city and, and, and Facebook that there are a number of us, too, have been given the utterance of foolishness. But within terms of understanding in the Spirit of God and His cosmic giving, wisdom seems to be more than just understanding how things work, but it's taking an understanding of how things work and then applying these things. So when someone comes to you, a couple comes to you and says, this is the mess we've made of our marriage. This is what he does. This is what she does. Can you help me through this? Those of us who have been given the, the spirit of the utterance of wisdom are able to see these things, to discern these things, and to chart for them a course through. Or, or in your workplace. Or any other number of situations we might run into. It is the being able to recognize the situation and then take the word of God, empowered by the spiritual gift that he's given you, and to chart a course through there. The utterance of wisdom. And to another, to another <clears throat> the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. This simply seems to be being able to kind of understand how things work and then understanding how to explain these things and how they work. This is a spiritual gift that God describes in here. Now look at verse 9. This begins to kind of get into an issue of, of what on the surface appears to be a problem child. He says, to another, faith by the same spirit. Now, are, are you saying that some of us have been given a uh, spiritual gift for faith and others of us haven't? Well, no, this seems to be contrary. This seems to be contrary to the revealed will of God and an understanding throughout Scripture. And so when we begin to compare this to other verses, to other places we see within Scripture, uh, for instance, Ephesians 2.8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. It's this understanding that God gives to some of us more pronounced demonstrations of faith. God gives to some of us more pronounced demonstrations of faith. And sometimes this faith is necessary because of the difficult things he's going to call you to walk through. It's the loss of a child. It's the loss of a job. It's the loss of your health. Some difficult season you're going to have to fully rest and trust and rely on God, even though everything around you seems to fail and fall away, even though the people around you seem to give you bad advice on top of bad advice, some of us have been given an extra allotment of faith by the same Spirit. Look at what he says next. He says, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Now, within the U.S., we have commodified this, right? We've made this an industry where we see on television that there are, in essence, kind of hucksters for the gospel who have gone out and, and, and sought to build up entire ministries propagated upon their supposed ability to heal. Now, let me just, let me just deflate that for a second. What Paul is writing here, the grammar structure of how this is working, he's talking about healings, plural. So when he's talking about healings, it seems to be that what he's saying is there is this episodic, periodic, coming upon you ability to step in and provide healing. Now Paul himself, we see within the confines of the Bible, in Acts 14, 
he is healing. In Philippians 2, 27, we see that he describes his travel companion, Epaphroditus, who he thought was sick and was going to die. But he said God stepped in and he healed him. Timothy has some stomach issues, so he tells him, look, don't drink water, only drink a little wine. You've got to mix it in there to help your stomach. Paul himself, in 2 Corinthians 12, had a thorn in the flesh, right? And he said, three times I asked for God to remove it, and he didn't. And so we begin to get this, the picture and understanding that if God does not desire, if God does not desire for the person to be healed, there's no television huckster you can go to. I don't care how many jets they own. But it's sensational, right? It's sensational to roll somebody forward in a wheelchair, to slap them on the forehead with some oil, and to have them get up and walk out of the room. And so we begin to kind of make light and trivialize and to commodify something God has given to certain individuals in certain situations. And I think this is further compounded when you get into James 5. James 5 simply says in non-sensational language, if one among you is sick, let them call the elders and have them pray over them. Now, we've exercised that here. I mean, we've had people call us, we've gone in as the elders, and we've met with them, and we've prayed for them. And occasionally, the person is healed, and occasionally, the person is not. What would be faithful? In some sense, it would be so much easier in Christianity to take the Bible and be like, this is nutburger crazy, where are my scissors? This is nutburger crazy, where are my scissors? This isn't something somebody's readily going to accept and adhere to. Where are my scissors? Where is my whiteout? Let me cross this out. But if we are going to be faithful to the word of God, then we don't get options on our back bends and workarounds around his truth. We need to be faithful to it. Look at where all these things come from. They're all by the same spirit. All these things flow from God, and they reside and are strengthened and enlivened in him not in the recipient. Now, it's not because James is extra special that he gets this gift. It's not because Matt is so sensational that he gets this gift. Neither is it because you're such a hapless loser that you get the gift of helps, and everybody looks and says, what is that? I don't know. There's some odd stuff, like send them to do it. Helps. It's the same God who sovereignly gives to each one. He says, to another, the working of miracles. Some of us perhaps have been given by the Spirit the working of miracles. To another, prophecy, the ability to speak on behalf of the Lord. To another, the ability to distinguish spirits. And oh, that there are more of this among us. The ability to step into a situation and say, what you say seems to be wise. What you say seems to be true. But in my spirit is telling me that this is not a word from the Lord. Paul, in Acts 13, confronts a magician, effectively, who is, is, is supposing and acting in, in such a way as to lead people to think that, that he has a, a special touch or a special gift from the Lord. In Acts 13, 8 through 10, it says, But Elymas the magician opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of the righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the paths of the Lord? Man, we need more of this. 
We need more people. My, my prayer would be that God would, would raise you up if he, if he has given you a spirit of discernment, that you would blatantly call those who are engaged in heresy, that you would blatantly call those who, who, who pontificate on the commodification of religiosity and say that, that God has given me this spirit so that I might be blessed. And if you're blessed by God, it will be in your finances. And if you're blessed by God, it'll be in your health. Some of us are blessed by God and we are sick and on our deathbed. Some of us are blessed by God and our bank accounts are empty. Some of us are blessed by God and we will draw our last breath. We need more of the spiritual gift of discernment. He says, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Now he's going to really spend a lot of time in chapter 14 spelling this out, so I don't want to belabor the point that he's going to make later. But it seems to be what he's talking about here is decidedly different than the phenomenon that occurs in Acts 2. And you can go home and read that this afternoon. In Acts 2, uh, for, the, for the rapid expansion of the gospel, as any individual speaks, they all understand in their language, okay? As any individual speaks, they all understand in their language. But what he seems to be talking about here is something decidedly different. What he seems to be talking about is direct communication with God alone. Now, there in the church in Corinth, that it created quite a bit of uproar because they thought that the one who spoke in tongues was more spiritual. And they thought that it was a sign of the divine blessing of God if you spoke in tongues. And it was creating all kinds of confusion because you have uh, so-and-so stands up and they begin to speak in tongues. And so-and-so stands up and they begin to speak in tongues. And Paul says, like, you, you, you misunderstand what this is. You're drawing attention to yourself. You're, you're creating confusion and disorder in the worship service. And so he tells them in chapter 14 that if this occurs corporately, it can only be done where there's an interpretation given. And it shouldn't be done otherwise. Because tongues is, in some sense, out of this list, the most difficult to be used for the bringing together. And it, it most fundamentally, in their day and occasionally in our day, is seen as something that is divisive because of a radical misunderstanding and because certainly of a misapplication within the context of the church. So anytime biblically that you're going to see tongues used in a God-honoring way, it must also be coupled with interpretation if it's done in a corporate gathering. This seems to be how Paul uh, kind of delimits the use of it. So outside of, of personal prayer to God, if it's going to be done corporately, it's got to be matched with interpretation. Now look at verse 11, and let's end here. So Paul has run through all of these. So you've got wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, so discernment, kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. And he says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit. Every single gift in this list is fully equipped and ordered by God. There is no person among us who has any spiritual gift, either in this list or some other list, who is able to use them and utilize them in our own power, in our own ability. And there's no person in here who has a gift from this list or another list or, or some gift God has given you who has the right to restrict the use of their gift. It is something God has given you for the expanse of his kingdom. He's given it to you, and he calls you to use it. Look what he says. All these are empowered by one of the same spirit 
who apportions to each one individually as he wills. When God looked at you, when he knew your heart, heard your cry, he knew what you needed. He knew what your temptations would be. He knew what your struggles would be. But check this out. Beyond this, he knew the sphere of influence you would keep in the people around you. And so he gave you the gift that he did for their benefit. For their benefit. Your gift is not for your benefit. It's for God's benefit, the expansion of his kingdom, and the express benefit of the people near you. All the people God sees fit to bring across your path need your gift used in their lives. So we begin to see that, that beyond just having this ability of bringing us together and unifying us, that as we work together in using our spiritual gifts corporately, that we become more dynamic and more impactful outside of this place. And you could argue the same is true. Our refusal to use the gifts of the Spirit that He has given us will render us useless, will render all of our efforts futile and far from ever being impactful in our community, if we're truly going to be impactful in Greenville, if we're truly going to be impactful when we go to the Philippines, when we go to Africa, when we go to Seattle, when we go to Georgia, when we go to Honduras, if we're going to be impactful in these endeavors, we must be a people who only ever operate within the empowerment of our gifting and recognize this, he has given you what you need. And he's given you what the lost person who lives on Sale Street needs. And he's given you what the lost person who lives down Stonewall needs. And he's given you what the lost person working the checkout line at Walmart needs. And he's given you what the lost person in this room needs. Do you want to use your gift to build yourself up? Or do you want to follow the godly principle in his word in here that we might be built up together, that we might be more impactful as we leave this place? Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you and we pray that you would be glorified in the use of our gifts. God, I pray that we would not be selfish in the use of our gifts. I pray that we would not be deluded and think that you have given us these gifts so that we might be recognized, worshipped, adored. But you have given us these gifts to bring us closer together as we use them. And you have given us these gifts so that your kingdom, your spirit might be shown so that ultimately you might receive glory and honor and men and women might come to know you as Savior and Lord. So Father, we want to pray for those in this hearing who have yet to submit themselves to you. 
They've never cried out to you for salvation. But God, today, in the hearing of this word and the movement of your spirit, they've come to recognize themselves set apart from you. That today they recognize that they need to come to know Jesus, to have their sins forgiven. And so, Father, we pray for this one. And the response to the gospel, that your spirit would be mightily at work concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Father, I pray for those of us who have already submitted ourselves to you and your son Jesus. There are those of us who are completely unaware of what our gifts are. Would you make us aware? There are those of us who have neglected the use of our gifts. Would you help us to once again give ourselves to the employment of them, that we might build up one another, that we might be more impactful together. God, would you bless our efforts this week? Help us this week to once again renew our drive and determination to follow you, to serve you in all things. That all of our efforts, that our hearts cry, would be to make your name famous. For you to receive glory and honor. For men and women to come to know you as Savior. We submit these things to you in your son Jesus' name. Amen.